Craft Beer Radio, episode 74, on Easter Sunday, April 8th, 2007. Welcome to Craft Beer Radio, the show dedicated to craft beer and the craft brewing industry. This is Jeff Baer. I'm Greg Weiss, and joining us, Brian Young. Hello. Brian is here from Seattle. He's a friend of mine and now a friend of Jeff's. Absolutely. And, and uh, beer makes everybody friends. That's right. He lives really not helps. too far from some great breweries out in Seattle. He's been, we mentioned Elysian. He's like, oh, I've been to Elysian. So. Yeah, I go to the Red Hook every once in a while for the brewery. Okay. Um, and then also been to the Rogue uh, Public House down in Astoria. Okay. Very cool. So today we're going to be doing uh, some Baltic Porters. Mm, Baltic Porters. Now, what's the difference between a Baltic Porter and a regular Porter? Baltic porters are stronger than regular porters. Historically, same kind of thing as the imperial stouts. They were brewed in England for the Baltic states, so they had to be stronger to make the journey so they wouldn't spoil, they wouldn't freeze with some accounts where we hear, you know, shipping beer in the winter, right. more alcohol keeps it from freezing in the on the ships. Um, and those, you know, the Baltic states like a, a stronger beer. Typically, these things are like a lot more raisiny than normal porters. Okay. You get a lot of roast in there, but like raisins, what stands out for me and the flavor of these things. You also see them called imperial porters. Yeah. Uh, so in the PGCP guide, you would say for aroma, a rich malty sweetness, soft containing caramel, toffee, nutty to deep toast, and or licorice notes. Um, in appearance, dark reddish copper to opaque dark brown, and with flavor, same as the aroma, malty sweetness, complex blend of deep malt, dried fruit esters, and alcohol. Prominent, let yet smooth, Schwarzbier-like roasted flavor that stops short of burnt. That should be interesting to see if that comes through, because burnt and sort of astringent, I notice, on a lot of porters. Okay, right. We're going to start off with the Southampton Imperial Porter. 22-ounce bomber from Southampton Public House in Southampton, New York. 7.5% alcohol by volume. They opened in 1996. They're brewed by Phil Markowski. Hi, Phil. <laughs> With an annual production of only 1,200 barrels per year, I think they do fit into the craft beer definition that we'll talk about a little bit later. The Brewers Association has defined craft beer, and some some breweries don't make the cut, unfortunately. Okay, so this is a very dark beer. There are really no highlights. Maybe a tiny bit of a red highlight at the bottom here. It's very hard to say. Uh the head is about a finger's worth or half a finger's worth of head. It's a tannish head. Hmm. Yeah, the aroma is definitely the, the dark roast. I'm getting the raisin flavor definitely. I was expecting out of it. Definitely raisin is there. Maybe some licorice-type aromas. Some maybe cherry. Okay, yeah, I can certainly see Cherry. All that dried, dark fruit type right. thing that we smell all the time. And alcohol, too. Although it's uh, it's very cold right now, so some of the flavors may not come through as well. Yeah, it certainly. I just took a sip, and the first thing I noticed was it's still a little too cold for for proper tasting, if you will. <laughs> it was a mouthful of coldness, so I'm trying to warm it up my hands <laughs> here a little bit. Definitely get a lot of that raisin. I can really taste that. Yeah. So I'm going to sit this down with the thing warm up so we can get more flavors out of it. The first thing I tasted was a little bit of raisin, but overall I just think it's a little too cold. Any thoughts? It's good. 
I, I don't know much, nearly as much about this, but it's uh, <laughs> right. just interesting. Do you guys have like uh, thermometers to like adjust the temperature? Well, we used to um, do the thermometers. I know my beer fridge is in the low 40s right now, mm-hmm. 43 round. So normally we pull these things out and let them sit. And today we got a little sidetracked. I <laughs> normally pull the beers out when we start the pre-show. Mm-hmm. And since I grabbed this one out of the cellar, I uh, forgot to grab the beers. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so, okay, so let's go through this note right here. Craft beer has been defined by the Brewers Association, and let's go briefly over this. They call it craft beer anything that's made with 100% barley or wheat malt or other fermentables that are used to enhance rather than dumb down flavors. Dumb down actually part of their definition? Yeah, I, I don't know if it's verbatim, but, again, that's it's, it's so subjective, right. and I think we're going to hear a lot of subjectiveness in, in this because... Who's to say you couldn't brew a classic American Pilsner with corn or rice because that's what you want to do to get the desired outcome right. for that style of beer? And the very classic American stuff was all brewed with adjuncts. I mean, they didn't have barley. Right. Like they the didn't, didn't have enough barley to do all grain. From so. the 18th century, stuff like that. Uh, so Craft Brewery is a company whose output consists of at least 50% craft beer or whose best-selling brand is a craft beer. Additionally, a craft brewer must produce fewer than 2 million barrels, barrels a year. But a craft beer um, – a beer maker cannot be a craft brewer if 25% or more of the company is owned by an alcoholic beverage industry member that is not a craft brewer itself. An example, Anheuser-Busch. So because of this, Old Dominion, they're not a craft brewer anymore. Red Hook, Widmer Brothers. Uh, I guess Goose Island still is, maybe. Maybe not. Leiden Kugel. That's really interesting to me because it sounds like it's based on a business perspective as opposed to, you know... The Brewers Association is the industry trade group for small brewers. Okay. So their self-preservation is to define this thing, to cater to the groups that are the bread and butter. Yeah. And now that the line's getting blurred, now that Anheuser-Busch is making better beer and that they're owning companies that make good beer... <laughs> the Brewers Association said, "Hey, we we gotta you know keep Anderson Bush out of the club. Mm-hmm. So you know we got to keep Miller out of the club. We got to keep you know um, South African you know um, Interbrew or, or Ambev, Ambev Ambev Ambev. That's her name now. Sorry, I went through the last three names the company had. Uh, you got to keep Ambev, Ambev out of the club. What and, does this mean? I mean, it, okay, just because the Brewers Association says, okay, you're a craft brewer or you're a craft beer." There's no label they can put on their Well, they beer go on by, that, right? by correlation. Craft beer can only be made by a craft brewer. Well, according to them, but right. you can still call it a craft beer. There's no... Sure. It's not like the Trappist uh, yeah. you know, trademark or There's anything. no trademark on the term craft beer. So just because the Brewers Association doesn't say you're a craft beer doesn't mean you can't just call yourself a craft beer in advertisements and throw yourself out there as a craft beer. So it's kind of meaningless unless they come up with a way to differentiate... Yeah, I, I just sort of trademark. It, it's it's frustrating because you know we want to to grow craft beer, and then we're you know the, the trade group, the, almost the mouthpiece of the craft beer industry, is doing this exclusionary type stuff, and I just don't think it's good for the industry. And I, I disagree. I think the beer small dominion are tremendous. There's no reason they shouldn't be considered craft beer. You know, I still consider them craft beer. Most people still do. That these guys think that they can, you know, it's their place to say that it's not, you know, kind of annoys me. 
So I, I've emailed the Brewers Association, and I want to talk to someone about mm-hmm. this and see what we have to see what we can come down to. Is, is it really more that the association just represents the craft brewers? Therefore, they're trying to make sure that they can only they're they're focusing on the smaller groups and they're, they're trying. Yes, that's exactly what they are doing. Yeah. But why should they have to do that? Why should Maybe, maybe Old Dominion, we keep going back to Old Dominion, but they're the most recent example right. of this. Maybe they're just caught in a bad way. But actually, you know, Oma Gang might not be. I guess Oma Gang is probably not a craft brewer either because they're owned by Duval. Right. So, again, <laughs> they make some of the best American made Belgian beers in the country, but they're not technically a craft brewery and don't make craft beer because they're owned by a company out of Belgium. Well, I guess my question is so um, it's not about. Greg, Greg pointed out it doesn't really make a difference to the end user, right? Or the, the, sorry, I talk about work, work speak all the time, but the <laughs> yeah. end consumer like doesn't know the difference because um, Anheuser Busch could just slap the label "craft brew" on it. Doesn't right. really make a difference to them if they don't really know or they're not as aware of it. So it sounds like the association's really saying to say, okay, for these for these companies, these smaller ones, we're going to help them out, but we're trying to make sure that you know Anheuser Busch isn't trying to sneak in and trying to get some of our support as well. Right. I mean, maybe that's the job of an industry trade group. It just seems to me that their, you know, their ideal goal should be to promote craft beer mm-hmm. and to use those exclusionary techniques to do this thing. You know, it just bugs me. Well, even craft beer is still a business. You know, it's not uh, it's not charity, and they are trying to keep the businesses of those people who are being craft brewers alive, and the businesses of the people who are owned by Anheuser Busch. Well, you don't really have to worry about them anymore. Okay. Maybe that's what they're going for. Okay. Yeah. Well, we're running long on this topic, so let's uh, let's invite comments, and uh, we'll talk about it more maybe in the comment emails next week, because I'm sure we'll get tons of feedback on it. Now that the Southampton Imperial Porter has warmed up, let's see what we can taste. I'm trying to pick up notes of licorice because like I can smell it, but I can't really taste it. You get a lot of raisin, a good amount of malt. That raisin is strong. Mm-hmm. It certainly is. Lots of carbonation, too, I'm getting. I'm going to work some out, because I just think there's too high amounts, but Greg's probably loving what's in there. I love carbonation. Give me more. Well, not more, <laughs> but you know. Right. So we got we got some good feedback for yeah, our show last week. Everyone did see the like. We got one or two people who said, you know, why are you hating on wine? We're not hating on wine. We love wine. It's just we were trying to do the opposite of our extreme beer show, which was the most pretentious thing possible, and wine fit in that role. You can be certainly pretentious about beer, but we just wanted to go overboard. And wine fit that, we think. But we do love wine a lot, and there are some good wine shows out there too. I right. assume I didn't listen. To it it was shows. fun to do the show when I was editing it. I was, I was a little embarrassed at uh, how bad my a- accents were. <laughs> my accent was very good either. Your accent was pretty good compared to mine. No, it wasn't. Mine was horrible. But uh, got lots of great feedback on doing that show. Three hundred sixty more days. I remember listening to. I did listen to the the uncut version. I was laughing my ass off. It was very funny. Yeah, <laughs> the laughing fits. You had to return it to whence the spittoon from which you drew him. <laughs> Is it true that on the wine shows do they not drink it or do they just drink it? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. We got one person saying, and I apologize, I didn't get the emails. Uh, this week, but we had one person saying that hey, spitting is good because then you don't get you don't get drunk, just like you guys are saying. But I feel that when you swallow, you get some more flavor out of it too. Certainly, I I couldn't imagine getting like the aftertaste I'm getting in my mouth right now if I spit out every sip of this beer. Right. 
I just don't think it would be code as well, but it's probably something we should try one day. Wait, you guys don't evaluate you guys don't evaluate the type of drunk that you get from drinking because I think that'd be like an interesting side. Well, because it, that's not really what we're going for. I mean, to us, being drunk is is an unfortunate side effect of drinking the beer. Oh, that's terrible. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Normally, we don't get we only get really drunk on a on a couple of different style shows, and um, usually it's the the strong beer type drunk, yeah. which is just. Mm-hmm warm and buzzy and <laughs> so there's not different types of buzzes that you can get off the different that you get i uh, know i've noticed different kinds of drunk in my yeah. drinking career yeah <laughs> but it seems like the shows that we get drunk on are just the same kinds of beers when we're doing barley right. wines or imperial stouts and and that kind of drunk's usually the same kind of the same feel so. so it's purely objective and there's yeah nothing Let's see we, we did get an email from i think this one's from heath but it was in referral to um Coors Light drinkers couldn't tell the difference between Coors Light and Keystone. Right, right. So. that was my uh, my contention was that how can you tell the difference between the two beers? And he says, I will say that you can definitely tell the difference between various macro lagers, even blind. Telling a difference from the beer I drank the most, Coors Light and Coors Extra Gold, Milwaukee's Best, was pretty easy, actually. When you drink nothing but a style of beer all the time, the differences are more apparent. I can see that. So it just goes back to my argument. I think if... In fact, Keystone and Coors were the same beer. Someone would have figured it out, and it would have been this big promotion, like underground promotion. Hey, you can save money and drink Keystone. James Spencer sent us an email from Basic Brewing Radio. He found, I guess he was doing a little bit of research on this too, and he found this link from some college kids thing where he had proof or had reason to believe that Keystone was just relabeled Coors Light can, dented Coors Light cans. So when they got a dented can or dented batch, they just relabeled them and sent them out that way. Because that'd be real cost effective. <laughs> <laughs> we, I mean, it would be something to try. You, did they serve Keystone at the Keystone State? You can get Keystone around. They used to have commercials. We well, so. can give it a shot, just you know. Maybe. I mean, obviously, it would not be a, a something where we drink. It would just be we pour like one serving of each and just try to. Jonathan from Birmingham had a suggestion for traveling with beers, which is basically putting your beers in socks. And uh, that would defend them at least a little bit. Oh, in his in his luggage, right? He'd put a, a row of beers, put a T-shirt over top, and put another row of beers. And just as long as he didn't pack them too close to the ends, he says he's carried between three hundred and two hundred fifty bottles this way, and hasn't had a break yet. At you know, once. now that now that emailed Craft Beer Radio, <laughs> next one's going to be a total loss. Right. So maybe we'll try that. I'm going to San Francisco next week or the week after. I forget well, when. So. What I try to do is I try to put. I try to pad it as much as I can with newspaper or whatever, and then stick it into plastic bags. Yeah. That way, if they do break, well, you know, they break, but at least it's not going over all your clothes. And Otherwise, you get soggy socks. Right. Yeah. Soggy brown <laughs> Who wants socks. Who soggy socks? Dirty, beer-soaked socks. Oh, yeah, that's not pleasant. A bunch of people were saying that they saw us at Draft Magazine, which is really cool. Yeah, that ad's working out pretty good. So we should mention too. Draft Magazine yeah. to pay back. So. We have this cross-promotion. They run some ads for us. We promote them. You get a discount if you subscribe to Draft Magazine on our website. There's a link at the very top of our website. You get $8 off the regular subscription price. Draft Magazine is a bi-monthly craft beer beer lifestyle magazine with a lot of good craft beer content in it. And uh, go subscribe. Go subscribe. They'll keep running full-page ads for Craft Beer Radio in it if they get subscriptions, and we get more listeners. Yeah, so it only works out good for us if you subscribe. (laughs) That's the only benefit we really get. You know what? I still haven't set up a hotel in uh, Denver. I think by now I'm probably screwed. Oh. 
Yeah, we're going to figure something out there. Yeah. <laughs> I may just have to say with the listener, I guess. <laughs> if I have to, I have to. Surely you could couch surf with some listener. What? Surely you could couch surf with some Yeah, some yeah. I just, I like, you know, and I have nothing against uh, any of our listeners. I'm just, I'm a hotel kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Right. So. See, I'm cheap. So I was going to go that route. I was going to say, let me curl up on your floor of your hotel room, or if you live in Denver, let me sleep in your carport. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. Definitely more of a couch surfing kind of guy. I'm in a hotel right now, but it's just like, yeah, what's the point? I'm going to go home and go to sleep. I'd rather just stay up and talk to people. You guys right. talk about beer. Absolutely. So we're finishing up the Southampton Imperial Porter here. Any final comments, Greg? Um, it's it's delicious. I really do enjoy it. It has kind of a, a smooth flavor to it. It's it's very flavorful, but it's, I want to use the word subtle because it's not punching you in the face. It's not any crazy flavor in one way that's right. hard to drink. It's very drinkable. Not a huge amount of, of roast. I mean, you get a lot of, of fruity esters and stuff like that, but you not a great amount of roast, uh, not an incredible amount of hop. I mean, really very few in the way of hops. A little mm-hmm. tiny bit of business once in once or twice, I feel that. But for the most part, yeah, just a lot of esters, a lot of really dark alcohol flavor. Right. What do you think, Brian? Um, I think it's pretty good. Actually, I've never sat and actually like allowed the beer to kind of breathe and, and have to get the right temperature. Okay. Now, now I'm curious. It's like, okay, when I start drinking in the future, what's the optimal temperature for everything? I'm going to get myself a little beer thermometer. Yeah, different, different styles of beer yeah. have different optimal temperatures. Mm-hmm. Um, Pilsners are typically some of the colder ones. Yeah. So you want to drink those in the high 30s, low 40s. Um, the warmest ones are like Imperial Stouts, Imperial Porters like this, barley ones, where up to... 50, 55 degrees. Mm-hmm. In general, but not always. The higher right. the alcohol, the warmer you want it to be. Right. Oh, okay. And in general, I like drinking things way warmer than they're supposed to be drank anyway because you can really get more flavors out of it and really see what's in there and, and get the flavors. Right. Cold dampens your taste buds, so the yep. warmer it is, the more flavors will come through. Yeah, definitely. As this one's warming up, I can start really see the subtleties that you were mentioning earlier, John. Right. But remember, there was a couple of weeks ago where we had a beer and we said it wasn't cold enough. I don't right. remember which one it was. It was, it was a lager, I think. Okay. And typically, yeah, a lager beer is just better cold. Right. So not everything's better warmer you know sitting at room temperature but a lot of these stronger high alcohol beers certainly are this is porcuno's hammer imperial porter from heavyweight brewing company formerly in ocean township new jersey this is no longer brewed however however this will be brewed by victory under contract in their v series so look for it because it's a great beer as i seem to remember this is uh eight percent Tom Baker brewed this, the famous Tom Baker. Thank you. Talked about last week how he is going to be opening his place in, what, Nyack? Nyack, New York. And it's probably going to be a brew pub where lots of uh, one-time, one-place beers. Right. This is another Imperial Porter. If I remember correctly, this one is brewed with a lager yeast, but I'm not sure. I could be completely wrong on that one. But I know he does use Roman beans in the brew on this one. Roman beans? Yeah, so I don't know what kind of beans those are, but called Roman beans. Kind of a similar smell. I was about to say this one smells stronger than the last one. You think so? Yeah. I'm getting more alcohol out of it, but I get the the, the flavor-wise. The roast on this one is much stronger, and you're getting more, Hmm. more of what... 
Oh, there it goes. Yeah, I guess it's just bar- roasted barley type type aroma. Something you would taste. This one smells. The difference between this one and the last one, like picking that smell up by itself, just reminds me of like a, a dry American style, like that kind of roasty flavor. So add that to the raisins of the other one, and I think that's the difference between the two. Yeah, a lot more roasty on this one. Wow. Yeah. Um, more of that kind of close to burnt roasty flavor that they were talking about in the BACP guide. Mm-hmm. The fruitiness is there, but it's kind of second fiddle. Right. This one has more stringency, kind of puckers a little bit more when you're drinking. Definitely inside my cheeks yeah. are feeling more constricted. Getting a little bit of that hops at the end, a little bit of that freeness that uh, is indicative of hops rather than indicative of esters. Uh, being a Tom Baker beer probably isn't much more hops in this one. You probably, I wouldn't say that, you know, the hop, maybe you are tasting the hops, but typically Tom doesn't hop his beers very much. So it could be something else that you're thinking of. Maybe that is just the astringency. Because it's definitely a puckering kind of bitterness. I, I can get what you're saying. I just want to warn you, calling something as a hop flavor <laughs> in one of Tom's beers is, could very easily be inaccurate. <laughs> so. Well, he definitely puts hops in here, right? I mean, Oh, no, he hops them. But uh, he doesn't tend to overhop. He doesn't tend to hop to the level most American brewers do. That's a good thing. Yep, so this was the case of Pagunas Hammer. I bought the day that I heard that Heavyweight was going out of business. And it's a nice strong beer bottle condition, so it'll hang around for a while. Is there a slight taste of oxidation here? There could be. What I've noticed from Pagunas Hammer, not even just the dispatch, but the style tends to have some oxidation to it as well. Oxidation is the aged character to beer. You kind of get some... When it's good, it needs like flavors. When it's good, it tastes like sherry or something like that. When it's mm-hmm. bad, it tastes like cardboard. Mm, okay, but the skunkiness that you skunkiness is different. Skunkiness oh. comes from being light struck. Oh, okay. That's uh, all that that really does taste and smell like a skunk. I thought it was all. I didn't realize it was because of light. I thought it was just purely because of uh, changing in temperature. Changing in temperature causes oxidation, actually. Mm-hmm. So you know, those are the two main things that beer happens to beer when it gets old and isn't treated. Ha- properly mm-hmm. temperature changes keeping beer at warmer temperature increases the speed that it oxidizes right. oxygen gets in the beer and makes different compounds well aldehydes they caramelize release oxygen in terms it, it basically makes off flavors that way whereas with uh with light and we should probably maybe at some point do a, a restructure you know go over this again i think it's episode 43 we talk about okay. it in the pilsner episode it's um it's a fertilic reaction that happens with light light strikes uh, chemicals in the beer, they change and and turn into it. Then this uh, thing breaks off, tries to find sulfur compounds, finds them, turns into this mercaptan that smells a lot like skunk. Mm-hmm. That's all from light. From the ultraviolet wavelengths, particularly. Particularly ultraviolet, and uh, then there's also stuff that hits riboflavin that causes energetic right. reactions. That's invisible wavelengths. There's all kinds of really cool chemistry about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But your body needs riboflavin anyway, so... Your body does need riboflavin. There's just, a lot just of riboflavin. Not riboflavin that, just in not beer. that flavor. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. I did send a bottle of this, a couple of bottles of this, to Pacific Brew News. Not that was it from this case. I don't think so. This is a while ago. It was over a year ago, and they were older bottles. I sent them, and they said it was horribly, horribly oxidized. They really? couldn't even review it properly on their show because the bottles I sent them were so oxidized. Interesting. But I, I'm not really tasting it in, in this. Like I said, I taste a little bit. 
Um, okay, you know what? Now I'm tasting a bit of oxidation. <laughs> the oxidation is coming across about two-thirds of the way back of my tongue. It just feels like this blanket of... Hmm, how can I describe that flavor? Imagine caramel without the sweetness. That's yeah. kind of how I'd put it. Yeah, maybe that's it. Because it's not cardboardy, per se. And it's not like a, a oxidized barley wine with all that sherry flavor. Yeah, it's definitely hitting like the back of your tongue. It kind of coats it. Mm-hmm. it. It's going along with that astringency. Right. And that kind of sourness that's, that's hitting there at the end. Okay. Well, now I know to fast track the rest of these uh, Pecunus hammers yeah. I have so they don't get too bad before they're gone. We have a macro muck today. This is interesting. We haven't done a macro muck in a while. New for the big guys, SAB Miller is test marketing Miller Chill, which is brewed in, which is brewed only at Miller's Fort Worth, Texas plant in Hispanic influence areas such as Texas, Florida, New Mexico, Arizona, and San Diego. And it's a chilada style super premium light beer. Chilada is a Mexican beer cocktail made with Pilsner-style lager and lime juice in a salt-rimmed glass. So, so they're doing this because they want to give beer, light beer drinkers a better variety of light beer. So this is one of them, this, this margarita-type right. type light beer. Well, I mean, okay, so it's a Pilsner-style lager and lime juice. It sounds like what they want you to do with Corona. Exactly. Now, Corona really kind of wants you to put lime juice in their beer because they want to disguise the fact it's a really horrible beer and it gets skunked really easily. Right. I guess that flavor has gotten so well-known and so well-liked that Miller is just trying to introduce it you know, together. Yeah, I suppose. You know, their uh, tequiza. I, forget, I don't know who makes tequiza, but I think that's another beer that has some lime juice in it or something like that. Uh, you know, it just... I think I thought it was macro muck where they, they just put out a press release that they're making this crappy beer. <laughs> and then Anheuser-Busch is getting skewered on their Spikes drinks. Spikes, we've talked about these before, right. are these little shots, these two-ounce bottled flavor malt beverage that are meant to be mixed into other alcoholic drinks or quaffed as a shot. Right now, is becoming one of uh, St. Louis's brewer's biggest public relations headaches. <laughs> so basically, it's not... it's uh, it, where is it saying? Is it marketing well? Or is it just not doing it, well? They're worried. This person, uh, Spikes, is a predatory move to attract underage drinkers, says Joseph Californo Jr., chairman of the think tank National Center on Addiction and Substance Abuse. So maybe they're just getting targeted by a neo-prohibition group. See, I, dis- I, mean, I totally disagree with Spikes here. I think, it's, I think it's a stupid idea, but I don't think that they're trying to target young people. I mean, they're, well, they're trying to target young people. They're not trying to target underage. They're trying to yeah. target you know, 21 to 30-year-olds who go to college and don't know anything about beer. And so, like, ooh, it's a new spiky drink. It's kind of beer, but not. That might be true, but you know, we, we haven't seen the ads. Maybe it's a picture of kids in high school saying, Spikes rocks. That's true. That's true. <laughs> you know, they have this underground YouTube MySpace market. Campaign, right. So yeah. that's on the macro muck because spikes is just a stupid idea. I did see a picture with Elmo holding a Budweiser. This is good, kids. <laughs> Craft Beer Radio is not responsible for the comments of Gregory White. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that was the heavyweight Percuno's hammer, and we're going to move on to 
a very special beer sent to us by our friends in Denver, Colorado. Flying Dog Barrel Aged Gonzo Imperial Porter. This is part of the Wild Dog series. Hasn't been released yet, has it? It if it hasn't, it will be released very soon. Okay. So we're one of the first to try this beer. So this is the same style of beer. It's uh, their Gonzo Imperial Porter, which is a beer that is dedicated to Hunter S. Thompson. He was a friend of the brewery, and made, they made this beer in honor of him. And this is the oak-aged <laughs> version of that beer. Pours with a big, dark head. If I remember the Gonzo pours with the same kind of head. Okay. Okay, the aroma. Big head. Yeah, the, when we have these beers with these big heads, it seems like the aroma messes with us, and it's hard to really get it out of the beer. Okay, now I'm finally tasting oak. First couple ones, I was tasting, like, allspice and... Um, a little more of a smelling thing, right? Yeah, oh, oh, yeah, smelling. Yes, I was smelling allspice, but now I'm smelling, like, the oak. The... the um, Now, see, I'm still getting some kind of weird spice out of that, There's too. There's a lot of spices in this. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely smelling some sort of spiciness to it, which... Hmm. Let's give it a taste, see if there's anything in there. Wow, that's malty, isn't it? Yeah. That's interesting. The... The oakiness doesn't necessarily come across like there was, a, like how I mentioned all those Weyerbacher beers, where they leave right. a lot of whiskey in the barrels and it tastes, the beer tastes whiskey itself. This beer doesn't taste so much whiskey, but the oak flavor is very, very strong. And there's something else there. Yeah, a huge amount of oak and malt right away, and then it hits this. Hits the stringent, uh, stringent part, and then it really goes into this kind of that spiciness that we were smelling. Mm-hmm. You can get at the end mm-hmm. there. This really doesn't taste much like bourbon at all, does it? But I think I wrote down what kind of barrels they used, didn't I? Well, let's see. This is a wild special wild dog reserve, nine point two percent. Flying dog is in Denver, Colorado, and Frederick, Maryland. Is aged oak whiskey barrels. Okay, so it is whiskey barrels. You guys tried the other version that wasn't aged in whiskey barrels. Yeah, it's good. We like it a lot. Yeah, it's, it's a good porter. Yeah, so how do you guys? Uh, what, what, how do you guys contrast that with this? It's been a while since I've had it, so I, it's me really too. hard for me to, to to figure exactly what the difference is. But um, I mean, certainly this is more oaky. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's been a while since I've had the Gonzo as well. I'm not positive. I think they do bottle it, but I haven't seen it around very much in bottles. Last time I had it, it was on tap. Hmm. It might be hitting me more astringency at the end, too. I do remember that Gonzo did taste very, very alcoholy. This one doesn't... has so many other flavors going on, I'm not really picking out the alcohol as much. I can. Okay. I can definitely. It doesn't, it doesn't come through... I think that's the astringency at the end, actually. I think it's a lot of that alcohol coming through. It's not coming through as kind of vapory. Okay. But it is coming through as this... Um, Bitterness. You're getting quite a flavor experience tonight <laughs> with a coffee stout and pre-show now an oak aged porter. Oh yeah, it's totally awesome. Um, this is <laughs> this is really the spiciest beer I've ever had. It's um, 
I mean, I understand what you guys are saying about the oak. I didn't really notice that at first because I, I can't. I don't have the subtle palate that you guys do. But it's the the spiciness is really interesting. I'm still trying to identify exactly mm-hmm. what that is. Yeah, but yeah, typically I like to drink like the um, the triple stouts and like the, the some of the coffee, like the the breakfast stout that we had earlier. Okay, that uh, was great. Um, but I tend to go for the darker beers. So. Mm. This is tasty. It is very tasty. It um, let's see. Wh- why do I like it? It's the oak is engaging mostly because it doesn't taste like bourbon, mm. and because. I mean, bourbon in a beer is fine, but I get that all the time with oak-aged beers. Not that I drink them all that often. Oak-aged beers are still a treat to me. But when it's another oak-aged beer that tastes like bourbon, it's like, well, okay, it's another oak-aged beer that tastes like bourbon. But this one actually uses the oak and tastes like flavors from the oak, right. which is nice to, nice contrast to you know the run-of-the-mill oak-aged beer. It has that flavor that doesn't taste like a standard porter, doesn't taste like what I'm used to getting out of what I think I ever got out of Gonzo, but doesn't See, taste like it's coming from the oak. It's some kind of dry, spicy flavor. It's leaving me with a dryness that's reminiscent of, of vodka, which is why I think it's really the alcohol that's causing that. Okay. What beer am I? Oh, yes. Last week's clues. Part of my name is a number. I am not a specific style of beer. I was made to commemorate a special event. I was brewed only one time. I was made by the same person who brewed my brewery's first beer 18 years ago. And I didn't put the answer on the sheet. It is the 10,000 brew from Rogue Brewery. Wow. 10,000. So we had several people with the What was the special answer. event? The 10,000th? 10,000th batch. Batch. Uh, people with the correct answer. Brian Greenwood, who is I think he's off the list now. Actually, Brian, I think, still... No. No, Brian's not off the list. He's still still waiting for window glass. Okay. Brian Greenwood from Portland, Oregon. Garrett Shedron from St. Louis, Missouri. Brian Clouser, also from St. Louis, Missouri. Steve Ducombe from from Ferndale, Michigan. Kurt Wallinger. And Rhonda Judich from sunny Scottsdale, Arizona. Lucky winner is Brian Clouser from St. Louis, Missouri. Ryan, you win a pint glass from East End Brewing. Buy a good friend, good beer. So send us an email with your address. We'll get you that pint glass out. We don't have clues for this week. Do you have a I question have, for I listeners? have a question for them. I want to hear. We've been talking about the Beer Advocate Top 100 list to pass show. I want to hear what beer you think deserves to be up there but isn't up there. What okay. what beer you want you think deserves to be higher in appreciation but isn't there? Okay, great, excellent. So if when you send us your the beer you think needs to be on the beer advocate top one hundred list to wbaicraftbeerradio dot com. That's so it gets tagged with uh, the winners list so we right. can get your name in there. And I'll just forward the emails to Greg this week so he can see them. Yep, and uh, we'll send we'll choose one from from the list and we'll send you a pint glass. If there's a lot of people, we'll choose two. Sure, absolutely. Until Scott yells at us, we're sending out too many right. glasses. <laughs> okay, well, I guess it's time to rank these uh, three porters, three big porters we did today. We had the Southampton, right. we had the Heavyweight Percuno's Hammer, and the Flying Dog Wild Dog Barrel Age Gonzo Imperial Porter. Hmm. I'm trying to see what you know, dirty comments they have scribbled in their label. <laughs> 
They have their Good Beer No Shit, which is on one of their labels. It's um, Which one is that? Is it the In Heat Wheat? Yeah, can you read that? No, that was the Road Dog. The Road Dog, which we talked about how that got label approval. When they say Good Beer No Shit, is that more like call and response, or is that more just one sentence? It's, they have Good Beer somewhere, or like Good Beer Common No Shit, which was on the side of the label. Right. And it's part of the artwork. Yeah. And the, actually, they got shut down and by the... TTB, the Tax and Trade Bureau for Alcohol, and the ACLU fought to get it reinstated. So you can actually say shit on a beer label if it's art. Well, if you, if you can drink beer, you should be able to say shit. <laughs> and on a beer podcast, you can say that word, too. Yep. So what do you think, Greg? What do you think? Okay. Um, one, two, three. That's my list. Okay, so Greg's favorite of the night. Okay, Southampton Imperial Porter. I think that was just, it really gave, I mean, it was nice and fruity, mm-hmm. and it had some, it was really drinkable. It's easy going down. I got to go for drinkability when it's when it's above the other three. You know, I, drinkability paramounts, I think, in beer. Southampton wins for me. The Wild Dog, interesting, a lot of great flavors to it. This kind of end spiciness that's is, is it alcohol is it not alcohol we don't know we're kind of going kind of going back and forth on it but it's interesting and any beer to get you talking is a good one and uh i'm not saying burkino's hammer is bad but it's third on the list this week i think just sure. the, the oxidation hurt it i think yeah i think i'm going to agree with you tonight craig the um southampton was so drinkable it was wasn't as complex but it went down good there was being an imperial porter there was still tons of flavor there so even though it wasn't, I wouldn't call it complex, there was a lot of flavor to enjoy. The Flying Dog was complex. Not as drinkable, though. So I think I'll have to put that quite just second. And then third, but not a long third, will be the Picronus Hammer. Had a lot of good flavors to it. It just, I think out of the night, out of everything tonight, it was the least drinkable of the three beers. Brian? Um, yeah, I, I kind of agree with you guys. I mean, I really... The, the wild dog was really interesting, um, just in terms of having all the, the different types of spice in it, and it really is something that you know you it kind of sticks with you, right? Um, I like the Southampton as well, but it was there was a lot of subtlety, you know, it wasn't um, nothing that really jumped out at you. It was kind of like all around good, but you know, nothing super exciting. And I agree with you about the, the Imperial Porter as well. It seemed like the there was some of an oxidation problem. It was. It was interesting. I think that if we didn't have that, we probably would have been like a little bit better. I would I would have rated that higher actually. Okay. Probably more. That might have been my number one actually, if if not for the oxidation. So. Yeah, I really like the Pecono's Hammer. It just tonight drinking these three just didn't pull the right strings, you know. So would you go with Wild Dog first on your list? Um, uh, for now, I would probably say yeah, I would go with Wild Dog. Okay. Although actually, if we if we can pull from the pre-show, <laughs> I would actually pick the the breakfast out on top of all of that. Yeah, it's hard to beat the breakfast out. Yeah. Cool. So we're going to do a couple more beers in the post-show. I'll talk with Brian here. and uh, So tune in if you want to see that. Next week we'll be back with I Don't Have Anything Picked Out. If it's cold, we'll do a stronger beer. If it's warm, we'll do some springtime beers. How about that? Sounds good to me. All right, bye. That's all for Craft Beer Radio. You can send us feedback to beer at craftbeerradio.com and feel free to send us an audio comment in MP3. The opening and closing music was Out of Towners from the band St. Dragon and was found on the Podsafe Music Network, music.podshow.com. Craft Beer Radio is released under the Creative Commons license. Check out craftbeerradio.com for more information. Call the cops, I think he's coming home early.